very welcome to National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories, a podcast where our storytellers talk all things Irish mythology, folklore, storytelling and culture straight from the world's only museum about leprechauns. Uh, I'm Eleanor and I'm joined today by our storyteller Deirdre. Hello Deirdre. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us again. It's so lovely to be sitting here with you telling stories again and listening to stories. And uh, it's been wonderful to hear that the uh, podcast has been going so well. Yeah. In- and that we're still the only museum that talks about leprechauns That's in the world as well. That's damn right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we weren't the only museum in the world uh, talking about leprechauns this past month because we've just, uh, we've just come out of March. We've just come out of St. Patrick's Day. Mm. Um, and a lot of museums around the world were doing leprechaun-themed activities, which is really great to see online and on social media. But this podcast, this episode is coming out on another special day, another fun day, 1st of April, April Fool's Day. Ooh. We can all be a little bit foolish at times, you know, um, as much as we might like to be, especially as we grow older, especially as we're adults. But I don't think it hurts to to cast off those um, adult mature shackles and lean into our inner fool. (laughs) (laughs) I like that, the inner fool. Yeah. I like that. Well, the way I look at things is you can't take life too seriously if you work in a place called the National Leprechaun Museum of Ireland. That's true. It teaches you in life that you have to find the fun. You have to find the spark of joy. Mm-hmm. You have to find that thing that will put a smile on your face. And that's what yeah. we try to remind people who come through our doors as well. Yeah. Like some of my favourite times that we've I've had in the museum have been people scaring the absolute bejesus out of me. <laughs> And this has happened many a time. Even though it wasn't April 1st? <gasps> Even though. <gasps> I know. Going against the holidays and everything. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, there's been a few times that uh, a storyteller, who shall not be mentioned, uh-huh. has has noticed that I'm either wearing earphones or my back is being faced to them. And they decided to take a foam mannequin head that was in the gift shop, place it inside of their hoodie and stretch it over them. So they look like a Slenderman version <sighs> of a storyteller who works in the museum. I remember that. And as I turned around, I screamed. <laughs> and I screamed so loud while sitting in the gift shop that uh, I forgot that there was a tour going on next door. <gasps> yeah, I still have not forgotten, forgiven said storyteller, but it was a very funny day. <laughs> yeah. Have you gotten tricked or fooled in any way like that? Um, I definitely think, yeah, I think uh, here in the museum, uh, we do like, as staff, uh, playing the occasional uh, trick on each other. Not that, you know, away from the eyes of visitors, of course. We've also had some pretty excellent games of hide and seek in the museum. Oh, they've been fun. Yeah. Really fun. So many great places to hide, guys. I mean, Mm -hmm. not for you. You can't hide in us when you come no. and visit in the museum. That would be really, that would be really stressful. And it would make the storyteller sad. Yeah, we don't want to yeah. lose you. And we definitely don't want to be leaving people in the other world as well. No. Because you don't want the good people after you, or the good people to be stealing you away. There's been many times we've gotten to have social evenings here mm-hmm. in the museum. And I think one that people still talk about to this day is a Christmas party or two we've had actually inside the museum itself. And it has been some of the best fun you'll ever have. Mm -hmm. Uh, One year we had a hide and seek competition. So the 
10 or 11 storytellers or members of staff that were here were told that they had a, about two minutes to find the best hiding place out the entire building. Mm. Now, the basement was off limits. We could only use the rooms where the tours would take place. And if you've gotten a chance to visit the museum, we've got many different spaces. The likes of the Giant's Causeway, the likes of the Giant's Room with gigantic furniture where we are the size of the wee folk. Places like the Fairy Hill, places like a map where it tells you um, uh, an audiovisual representation of the history of Ireland and a few other places in between. But what you don't see is what's behind the curtain, what's behind those doors you see in plain sight. And I proudly will say this, is that I won the hide and seek competition that year and yes, I got money out of Mark's pocket. Yeah! Because yes, I jammed myself in one of the gaps that was found in the Giant's Causeway. So did I feel oh, like I got yeah. trampled on by Ben and Donner? Did I feel like I got trampled on by Phil McCool? You can say yes. But I crammed myself into that tight space that a girl... I just... Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that my legs went a bit numb after a while. Oh my god! Uh, we had people hidden inside of the map. We had people trying to jump down the well, even though we wouldn't recommend that in the no. other world. I think um, I was somewhere in the um, the Milky Way. Oh my goodness, yes. yes. Oh, I forgot. Because every I remember everyone sort of like at one stage scrambled and we sort of decided to change places and then change <laughs> yeah. the places again. Um, but oh gosh, yeah, you hid in the Milky Way. I remember Adele hid in the Giant's Causeway, but the other end of me. And then there was, where did other people hide? Yeah. But anyway, Mark was going around finding people. And he would always say, you know, he knows every single hiding spot in the museum. He knows every single inch, every nook and cranny. Uh, because he was here when it was all being built. And uh, and he was, in fairness, very good at finding people. A bit too good, annoyingly. But uh, he didn't get one over on you, Deirdre. If you, there was one thing. There's always a little bit of competition between Eleanor and Mark. Not competition. Is it not competition? No. I don't know. I think it's... You know what? You know what it is? What's it? It's been a long year with just the <laughs> two of us making... And how dare he find me in a hide-and-seek competition <laughs> in a museum he's been in for the last 11 years. How dare he find me? <laughs> okay, okay, you got me. No, well, in fairness, <laughs> I would be the exact same if he found me that night as well. Yeah. The only reason why I'm on my high horse is because he couldn't see me that night, that's mm -hmm. all. You deserve no, it, Deirdre. Uh, no, 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 no. Mm. If anything, we need to have a round two of the hide-and-seek competition. Yeah. Just, do you know why? To keep Mark on his toes, mm. to remind him there are more hiding space in the museum than he thinks. Yeah. You know, you know, mm -hmm. you know. This museum is, is, is bigger than the human eye can comprehend. Exactly. There's more of it than the human eye can comprehend, frankly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how you talk to the architects about that, but... Well, I just think that if, if, you, if you talk to the, the good people, they'll sort you out. Mm-hmm. You know? If you're good to them, they'll be good to you. That's what I always say to people. Yeah. And uh, since we've been talking about you, me and Mark, speaking of uh, another trio of people who are uh, trying to get one up on each other, let's go to today's story, which is called Hudden Dudden and Donal O'Leary told today 
by Mark himself. Now, this is a bit of a, a longer story than you might be used to on this podcast, but it's a very good one. Lots of twists and turns along the way. So sit back, relax and enjoy, and we'll see you on the other side. Odin, Dudden and Donald O'Leary were three men who lived side by side in County Fermanagh. Now while the three men were quite similar in a lot of ways, in that they lived on a small patch of land, they had a, you know, modest little home, they had a single bullock and all three men lived with their mothers, who had heard being described as little more than ornaments, they were so old and inactive. But Hudden and Dudden were nothing like Donald O'Leary in that they were two of the meanest people you could ever meet. Begrudgers and Irish in the most typical possible way. When I first heard the story, they reminded me immediately of the two old men from the Muppets who sat up in the balcony. I think the only reason they are actually friends is because no one else could tolerate them. But Donald O'Leary was something completely different. While he didn't have much, he never complained. He always had a spring in his step and he always had a whistle or a song on his lips. This absolutely infuriated Hudden and Dudden. More so because he actually lived slap bang between the two of them and it was almost like he was there to drive them insane and drive them apart. They were always plotting and planning of ways to kind of bring misfortune on him. And one day they decided that the best thing that they could do would be to kill his bullock. His only source of income is, you know, his source of so many things in his life and really the only thing that kept him active and going. So one night, when it got dark, the two men waited until the whistling and the singing had stopped, knowing that Donald O'Leary was fast asleep. They snuck over, they met at his gate and they rushed onto his land and stabbed the bullock again, again, and again and again for good measure, and then returned to their homes. Well, the next morning, when Don O'Leary came out of his house and saw his bullock lying there in the grass, he couldn't believe his eyes. But always looking on the bright side, he was like, oh my goodness, he says. This is a shocking state of affairs. It looks like my bullock is after falling over again. And again, on top of the rake there, leaned by the fence. It is so filled with holes, you could use him as a strainer. But like I said, he was a positive guy. So what he did was, he took out his pocket knife and he skinned the bullock. Knowing that if he headed north, he was sure to happen across a town or a village where he could sell the hide and maybe get back a little bit of his losses. So he threw the hide over his shoulder, flesh side out, and he set off north. Now as he walked along, he whistled, and again he had a bit of a spring in his step, and he walked and he walked until the landscape was no longer familiar, and as he was walking through a particularly dense piece of woodland, on a little narrow path, he heard a clicking and a cawing and a muttering, and he looked up, and he saw a blackbird in the trees, and it had been hopping along from branch to branch, from tree to tree, like it was keeping him company. And Don O'Leary was very happy for this. So when the board flew down and landed on his shoulder, picking at the flesh on the hide, Don O'Leary reached back and took the board and stuck it in his inside pocket. 
and the board continued to chatter and Donald talked back to it, though the two didn't understand what the other were saying. Donald eventually arrived at a little village and of course given that he'd been walking for so long he was thirsty. So before going about the business of finding someone to buy the hide he made as well his way into a little bar and went straight up and asked for a whiskey. Well, the woman at the bar, who was young once, she said, what can I get you? He says, give us a little glass of whiskey there, if you don't mind. And she turned and she took a glass and as she was taking down a bottle, the board started to cack and caw and mutter away in Donald's coat. The woman, of course, turned round and asked Donald what he'd said and he replied that, I didn't say anything at all. He reached in to his coat he pulled out the blackboard and he put it on the bar and he said, it was actually my friend here. The woman couldn't believe what she was looking at. She said, and, and what did he say? Well, Don said that the board had just told him that she was pouring him the cheap stuff. You know, the stuff you wouldn't give to your friends or family. And that the board actually looked out for him for since he was a young man. He said that he'd always carry the board with him. It was like part of his family. And it always knew when someone was trying to get one over on him. Well, the woman apologised and insisted that it was completely unintentional and she wasn't really looking at what bottle she was picking up. And she, of course, reached under the counter and pulled out the good stuff and poured Donald a good measure. She said to him that that board's a very fine thing to have altogether. And she said a woman in her line of business is always wary of people trying to Welch on paying their bills or the brewery trying to charge her more than they should and she actually offered Donald a fair amount of money for the board. Of course Donald wasn't going to make this easy and he said no I couldn't. This board's like a brother for me he says. He's kept me company all my days and, and I couldn't possibly part with him for a few coins. So the woman said it should be back in a moment. She went through a small door and she arrived back with a piece of cloth which she opened up onto the counter and it was filled with money silver coins of every description and she said you can have that if you give me the board Donald making it seem like it was a difficult decision gave her the board and took the money he stuffed it into his pocket finished his drink and before heading home he of course went down to the, the town square and sold his hide for a few coins while Hudden and Dudden were back at their house, deciding how they were going to divide up his land when he'd moved along, they couldn't believe it when they heard the whistling and the chirping and the singing come from the laneway when Don O'Leary came into view. As soon as he saw the two men with the shock look on their face, he says, lads, he says, you would not believe it. I woke up this morning and I came out and my poor old bullock was dead. Riddled with holes, so he was. I think he'd fallen over during the night on the rake. But he says, it's not all bad. I've actually heard of a town north of here, and I set off, and I was told that you could sell a single hide there for fistfuls of silver coins. Hudden says, Arrow O'Leary says you're talking nonsense, he says. You and your big mouth and your big stories, which you go on out of that. Well, Don O'Leary reached his hands into his pockets and he pulled out fistfuls of silver coins. And the two men couldn't believe their eyes. They looked at each other, 
turned on their heels, pulling their pocket knives from out of their coats, they ran over and started stabbing their bullocks. They had them skinned in no time and the two men threw the hides over their shoulder and headed north straight away. Well, when they arrived in the town, of course, they went straight down to the square shouting, Hides for sale, hides for sale, fill our pockets with silver, hides for sale. People just looked at them as if they had two heads, each. And the two men didn't realise why people weren't just you know, throwing money at them. And when one guy finally came over, he said, How much are you saying for those hides? And Dudden replied, he says, Well, he says, fill me pocket with silver. He says, and you can take the hide off, off me now. And the man just laughed in his face. And after this happened a second and a third time, the two men realised that somehow Don O'Leary may have gotten the better of them. They sold their hides for what little they could get rather than carry them home. It's not like they could redress their bullocks. And as they made their way home, they got angrier and angrier with every step, convinced that that night they were going to get their revenge on Don O'Leary. Now it was getting pretty late and it was time for bed and there was no sign of Hudden and Dudden. But Don O'Leary knew they would be baying for blood that night when they got back. So he had to find a way to, you know, get away with what he'd done. So while he was getting ready for bed, he went into his mother who was just sat there like a hood ornament in front of the fire. And he said, mother dear, he said, he says, it's a cold night tonight. He says, I'm going to put you in my big bed with an extra blanket and I'll take your little bed in the back because you're my mother and I love you and I'll always look after you. So he took his mother into his room, tucked her into the bed, pulled up the extra blanket and settled her down. And then he headed off into the back room and lay down for a peaceful sleep himself. Well, when Hudden and Dudden did arrive back, they didn't even bother going to their houses. They stood at the gate of Don O'Leary's piece of land and they said, that's it, he says. We have to kill him. It wasn't enough that we killed the bullock, this guy, for what he's done to us. He has to pay. So the two men opened the gate as quiet as they could and snuck up to Donald's house. They positioned themselves with their ears to the door and they couldn't hear a sound. There was no light on so they knew that they were fast. he was fast asleep. And they went inside. The door didn't even make a creak and they left it open so they could have a quick getaway but also the moonlight outside would spill in and they could see a little bit of where they were going. Well they'd walked in through the front room and they see the door. When they look in through the door that was slightly ajar they see the body in the bed. Straight away they dove on top of them and they held a pillow down over the face and they squeezed and they squeezed until there was no more movement. The job was done. Of course, Donald wasn't in his bed. He was in the back room and he heard the commotion. So all he did was he stuck his foot out of the bed. He banged it on the ground. And the two men, when they heard it, they thought, oh no, we've woken his mother. We better get out of here quick. The two men dashed out of the house, closing the door behind them. Well, when Donald heard the door closed, he put his foot back under the covers and he had a very, very peaceful night's sleep. 
the next morning he got up. And he went, and he made himself a good breakfast. That's the best way to start the day. I mean, what was done was done. He was fairly certain what had happened, and he knew he'd need a good feed in him. And after his breakfast, and a bit of a stretch, he went into his own room where he'd put his mother to sleep the night before. And sure enough, she lay still in the bed, cold as cold can be. Well, thinking that he wasn't, wasn't going to waste any of his newfound wealth on a funeral, you know, expensive things are coffins. He tucked his mother under his arm and he set it off east. He knew that if he went far enough that, you know, he'd find a nice little piece of land, maybe by a river. He thought she'd always liked rivers. He'd find somewhere peaceful and he'd just bury her there and say no more about it. So he headed east and he walked and he walked with his mother under his arm. And when he thought he'd walked enough, he walked a bit further. Eventually he came across another little town, one he didn't recognise and he'd never seen before. As he walked in, there was a small well in the middle of an open space and, and he leaned his mother's body up against it. She was stiff as a board at this stage and he went over to a bar. I mean, she wasn't heavy, but he'd been carrying her for long enough and he needed a quick drink and he thought, well, she's not exactly going to wander off anywhere, is she now? So he went into the bar, he took out some of his silver, he got himself a drink and, and a bit of lunch, you know, a bit of good food. When the barman brought it down to him, Don O'Leary said to me, he said, listen, he says, I'm going to need you to do me a favour. You wouldn't look out the door there now and you'll see my own mother leaning against the well, catching her breath. We've been walking for a good while now. But you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't give her a shout, would you? Call her in and, and the same for her, a bit of food and a drink for her. Well, the barman obliged, he walked over to the door and he shouted across to the woman, you know, gentle but firm. And he looked back at Donald, he says this, and she didn't hear me. She's not responding to me. And Donald said, ah, she's old now. She's, uh, she, she's, she's old and her hearing's not great. She'll have to call a little bit louder. So the barman went to the door and he called again, louder and firmer, for the woman to come for a drink and some food. She's still not hearing me. She's not responding at all. Donald says, but listen, you wouldn't do us a real favour. I'm sorry to put you out, but I don't want my food to go cold. You wouldn't go over there and just, just give her a little shake, would you? Maybe she's after dozing off. She can fall asleep anywhere, that woman. And the barman heads out. He walks over to her. And just as he puts his hand on her shoulder, gently to give her a little bit of a shake, she tips over and falls down into the well. Well, the barman screamed. He let out such a shriek of horror. He didn't even hear the woman hit the water below. But suddenly, everyone came rushing. He was clawing at the side of the well. There was no way he was going to be able to get down there. But he was telling everyone that, that it was awful. He, he'd only barely touch her, but she'd fall in and surely she'd drowned. And a big group of people had got around the well. And, and eventually, after finishing his food and his drink, Don O'Leary makes his way back outside. The barman is begging his forgiveness. They've eventually gotten the woman out from the well and she's laying there on the ground soaking wet and lifeless. The barman says that he didn't mean it. He'd barely touched her, but somehow she'd fallen in and he was so sorry. How could Donald ever forgive him? To have a stranger come to their town and experience such tragedy. Well, well, it was give the place an awful name. 
the people started apologizing, saying they'd take care of everything. They started gathering together like a like a compensation, emptying their pockets, just stuffing it into Donald's hand and into his pockets. And they said that, that they would take care of everything. Well, Donald cried into his hands, his eyes poking out through his fingers, looking at their faces and their reactions, was saying that he couldn't believe it. How was he ever going to go and tell his brothers and his sisters? They'd only just the year before lost their dear old father. He was so full of nonsense, was Donald, that he would leave his mother there with them where they prepared everything and he'd go and tell his family. Well, with his pockets filled with everything from wallets to watches, rings to rings to ribbons, he set off home, sobbing until he was out of view. And then he put his hands into his pockets to feel around with his newfound riches. And off he went home, skipping as he went and singing and whistling, while the people back there would take care of everything for him. He had no intention of ever going back to that village. Well, Hudden and Dudden were back, pulling up the fences around the house. They didn't give a thought for the mother that they, you know, assume, you would assume was still inside the house, even though Don O'Leary had passed away peacefully during the night. But the two men, the hair stood on the back of their necks and the hair stood up on their arms when they heard the whistling coming from the laneway and the faint singing at first. But then when it got louder and they saw Don O'Leary's face, Hudden and Dudden grabbed each other and screamed, It's a ghost! Donald O'Leary said, Lads, I don't know what you're doing there now, but, uh, and I hate to interrupt you, but you wouldn't believe the day I've had. Sure, I got up this morning after breakfast, I went to check in on my mother, and she was stone cold in the bed. She must have passed away peacefully during the night, he says, but... I had to go off and deal with that. But he says, would you believe it? I'd heard rumours of a town to the east of here where they're getting ready for some kind of uprising. And what they were doing was they were taking bones for gunpowder. Well, when I turned up with my poor dead mother and of course her soul had already left her body, there was nothing but a shell left. They couldn't get enough of it. Dried out bones like that would make for some powerful gunpowder. Well, he says they gave me everything they had. They took her off my hands and sent me on my way. And I'm sure she'd be only too delighted to be part of one last fight. The two men, when the colour had come back to their face, couldn't believe what he was saying. They thought this was absolutely ridiculous. But when Don O'Leary put his hands into his pockets and pulled out watches and rings and riches and ribbons, the men couldn't believe it. But of course they did. They looked at each other square in the eye. They turned on their heels and we know what they did already. They ran off home and they smothered their mothers. They threw the women under their arms and they set it off east. Well, I can only imagine the scene when they arrived in that town, shouting, Oh, women for sale. Oh, women for sale. Dead as a doornail, old women for sale. We don't know what happened to Odin and Odin. They never came back and after a few days, Donald finished the job that they'd started. He pulled up the fences around them. He took what they had in their homes and it became his own. And he went on to live a long and happy life. 
And that's the story of Hudden, Dudden and Donald O'Leary. is the quite dark folktale of Hudden, Dudden and Donal O'Leary, told by our own Mark. Uh, it's a story from County Fermanagh, up in the north of Ireland. And it's a strange story, but I have to say, when especially when it's told in person, a very entertaining one. Yes. There was a... When myself and Eleanor would tell stories... We had a very special night when Mark decided to tell that story in front of all the storytellers at the time. Yes, it was uh, after he finished his Darkland training. Yes, mm-hmm. for that one. And it is, most people know it as a children's story, but Mark and his dark sense of humour could turn it into the story that you got to listen to yourself. I don't know how it could be a children's story at all. It's, it's with the e- Even with the, the, the bare facts, the bare bones of the story. Unless it's like, unless you're talking about like a, a pure Grimm's fairy tale. Yes, yeah. definitely. But we, I remember us, he was telling it in, in the well, uh, where it's the only light is, is coming from the bottom of the well, shining up a little into his face, and the rest of it is pitch darkness. And we're all rolling around laughing. And I remember then, uh, a couple of weeks later, I got to go on Mark's first Darkland tour for the public. And, uh, and his tour culminated, it, it, it ended with uh, Hudden and Dunn and Donald O'Leary in, in the well. And I wanted, you know when you're showing like someone like your favourite film or some or film that you think is really good and um and you have to stop yourself from like elbowing them every five minutes and going, Oh, this is a really good part. This is a really good part. You'll have to you laugh at this. You know? I was like <laughs> I had to stop myself from doing that to everyone on the tour. Oh my you know? god. That is oh, that is so perfect. <laughs> because anytime people say, uh, when they get to meet the storytellers, we're like, Oh yeah, so what stories do you tell? And I always bring up Hudden and Dunn with Mark. Because yeah. there's one stage of the story, he sits on one of the logs that we have around the wishing well, mm. and you feel, you feel like he is the storyteller or the narrator of the whole tale. So he's sitting on some random log in County Fermanagh. Mm. He's watching Donal and Hudden and Dunn, and they're just jumping over that log to get out to the east to basically sell their dead mothers. Um. And it is just a moment when he ca- when he captures that moment in the story. It's just oh, mm. he's I, really I, taken yeah. ownership of it. I think oh, completely, yeah, completely. Um, but it's it's a, such an out there kind of story. Yeah, it really is because one, there's nobody in the story that you particularly like, but you still no. want to hear how the story ends. That's true. I guess I mean yeah. like because Hun and Dudden are going after. Donald, they're trying to ruin his life. They're trying to kill him. So on on one sort of level, you're inclined to sympathise with Donald O'Leary, but what he does in defence is yeah. In a court of law, I don't think it would it would stand up. Yeah, yeah. But I think do you know? I think there's still now. Maybe I'm just giving myself away here. Um, but maybe there's a small part in all of us who wants to be like. Donal O'Leary because whatever life or Hudden and Dudden throws at him he knows how to make the best of every situation even you know 
how to make a load of money out of his his mother being smothered. Uh, he's one step ahead. He knows how to um, charm people and get what he wants, and he doesn't he doesn't break a sweat oh, at any no. point. The best word I have in my vocabulary to describe that man is cute. Oh. I'm not talking about he's an best. adorable puppy. I'm not talking that he is such a sweetie. No, he's cute. He's, he's a cute whore. He's a cute whore. Yes. It's a very uh, yeah. p- uh, particularly Irish use of the word cute. Yeah, yes. very Irish he's expression. He's always watching. He's the fella who's at the pub. He's watching everybody, but he's not saying anything. Mm, he's, he's sly. Watching. Yes, very Clever. sly. Yeah. And... The rapport that he has with Hudden Dudden mm. is just brilliant. It, like, you'd love to know what was the very first encounter of the three of them. Because it definitely wasn't the story. It no. Was, it was before the story took place. No, I bet the three of them have been living yeah. side by side amongst, you know, beside each other for years. You know, I bet they were like the sons. Um, I know I was talking to Mark. We were talking to Mark about this before recording the uh, the podcast and he said that he thinks of Don Leary as very much an only child and I kind of get where he's coming from but I think Hudden and Dudden um, were probably the, the sons left behind to look after the farm yeah um, while the other ones were smarter and made their fortunes and um, but I think it at the start of the story Don Leary is just this really before he 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 does the, the the crazy stuff he does this is this really positive guy you know who's always got a, got a smile for Hudden and Dudden and even though he knows how much uh they hate him and how much they find him annoying um and I, I kind of on one hand you know sometimes when you're when you're not feeling so positive it can be kind of annoying to be around such you know positive positivity or even toxic positivity um, he's sort of their third wheel, it yeah. seems like. Very, very much so. Yeah. Like, it's almost like the mothers are a second thought or a third thought or a fourth oh, thought. Oh, yeah. And it really is. Although Hudden doesn't think that they're going to outsmart or have one upmanship of Donald, like, he's, mm. he's always a few steps ahead. Yeah. Always, always. Um, but I do enjoy the... Mark's description of Hudden and Dudden to be kind of like Statler and Waldorf from, oh, from, from the, the Muppets. Muppets. Like watching from the balcony. They're watching yeah. what Donald's doing. Mm. Are they the neighbours that have their nose over the garden wall watching what the neighbour's mm. doing kind of stuff. I can imagine them yeah. both, you know, going every time they meet, you know, going to each other and whenever the conversation turns to Donald going, oh, he's an awful gobshite, isn't he? Oh, he's an awful gobshite. <laughs> gobshite being another Irish expression. <laughs> Folks. Uh, yeah. That is used for a. It's, it's used for a person, not for a thing. Yeah. Um, gobshite. Oh, how would you define a gobshite, Deirdre? Um. Um, like a yeah. like it's a, it, It's not quite a fool, but it's far worse than a fool. Yeah. Um, someone that'd be like, ah, they're really. This got to be another Irish expression to extra- describe another Irish expression. Go on. But someone who acts the maggot. Ah. Someone who acts the clown and is just seen as so strange and bizarre to the other folk. Mm. So, of course, why do you want to be out of the ordinary? Why do you want to be doing the silly thing, the daft thing that'll be getting you in trouble? 
And yes, my countrywoman accent's coming out. <laughs> Apologies. But I think a gobshite yeah. is um, is not someone who's just a, like a fool or a little bit silly without m- meaning to be. Uh, a gobshite, uh, a gobshite still, you know, tries to get in your way. Mm. Um, and that's definitely, from the perspective of Hudden and Dudden, what Donald does. Um, but he even kills his own mother because he kills of this. He throws his own mother into the firing line, yeah? I know. That, if that's not a definition of a gobshite, like, I don't know what is. You know, there's... I, I, I don't know if I would ever like to encounter Donald O'Leary in real life, you know, because I can picture like that smile on his face, but behind the eyes, oh, there's something else no. happening there. Yeah, yeah. Like I asked Mark a question uh, before we started recording, just to talk to him about the story and what he liked about the story. And I asked him, "Would there be any people in the story he'd want to go and play poker with?" And he says, "None of them, mm-hmm. because let's be honest, Donald will be counting the cards and be watching everybody. Hudden and Dudden would just be probably stealing each other's cards." Um, and it'd be almost clueless. Like, yeah. Almost. Almost. But of course, when Mark tells that story in real life, it ends differently. Mm. Because this is a, uh, I guess, a shortened version of the story that we've told that Mark got to tell you here today, folks. But um, there was two sort of encounters or um, uh, two attacks from Hudden and Dudden. But of course, in Irish mythology and folklore, things come in threes. And there's a third and final one. Will, will, will I tell them about it? Okay. So, Hudden and Dudden have smothered their mothers. <laughs> Hudden and Dudden have smothered their mothers. <laughs> and they've gone to the town where Donald O'Leary's just come from. And they're like, dead mothers for sale. Get your dead mothers. Dead freshly killed. Doornail. Get your dead mothers. Yep. Yeah. And the... Um, and the people of this town find this incredibly offensive and they run Hudden and Dudden out of town as fast as they as fast as their legs can carry them and they they, they come back home and they're and they're like, Okay, enough plans. This has gone on far too long. Next time we see Dun Lowleary, we're gonna jump him and we're gonna end it. So when uh, Donald O'Leary uh, comes out of his house with a smile on his face to, to greet Hudden and Dudden as they, as they come home, um, they, they grab him and they put him in a large sack and they decide they're going to throw him in a lake and that'll be the end of it. So Hudden and Dudden are walking with Donald O'Leary in the sack down to the lake and on their way, Hudden spots a lovely rabbit, big rabbit or a hare. This is probably something they would argue about. Wait, was it a rabbit or a hare? It was a rabbit. It was a rabbit. It was a rabbit. Yeah. And um, Hudden and Dutton decide uh, to go off and catch the rabbit. So have for their celebratory dinner. And they just dump Donald in the bag by the side of the road. And, you know, because he's not going anywhere. And Donald's sitting there in the bag for a while until... Uh, he is happened upon by a farmer walking his cattle down the road, and uh, the farmer asks him, uh, "Are you are you all right in there in the bag?" And Donald's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I'm grand, thanks. You know, enjoying the weather." And the farmer's like, "Oh, okay. What you, what you doing in the bag?" And uh, Donald O'Leary says, "Oh, well, I'm actually. It, it's kind of a funny story." But I'm actually engaged to be married to a princess in the next kingdom. And um, 
you know, she's she's the most beautiful girl uh, that anyone's ever seen. And her family are so rich. I'm going to be a prince and I'll never have to work again for the rest of my days. And uh, basically, my friends, the lads, have, uh, as part of the bachelor party, the stag party, have just put me in this bag uh, while they're taking me up to the... Um, to, to, to the king to the next kingdom to humble me you know but you know I feel like we're friends and I'm gonna be honest with you I don't really want to marry the princess at all I'd rather stay at home with uh, with with my with my mother who's very much alive and look after her I don't want a life of of fame or riches or royalty with a beautiful woman at all it's it's a hard life and the farmer goes that does sound like a problem and the and then Donald goes, here, I'll tell you what, you uh, you you wouldn't you wouldn't do me a, a massive favor and and take my place, would you? You know because uh, you could come and marry the princess instead of me, and then I could go and and take care of your cattle, and we'd both be happy. And the farmer's like, well, if I you know out of the goodness of my heart. <laughs> I'll, I'll do this for you. So Donald O'Leary is like, okay, uh, take me out of the bag and then you hop into the bag and I'll take your cattle home and look after them. And th- my friends will be back in five minutes and we'll take you to the princess. And the farmer's like, great. So they do a swap. And Donald O'Leary walks home with the farmer's cattle uh, where so where his bullock was killed the day before now he's got all this new cattle meanwhile this farmer is sitting in this in this bag waiting to be taken uh to marry the princess hudnan doesn't come back uh they failed to catch the rabbit and um they take him and they take the farmer and uh the far oh and the farmer's been told to stay quiet you know whatever um whatever hudnan doesn't say whatever he hears he's meant to stay really quiet said donald so even though what he hears is really strange and there's no mention of the princess from the guys outside, he doesn't say anything at all. And he, he doesn't say anything either when Hudden and Dudden get to the lake and throw him in. And Hudden and Dudden are like, finally, job done. And they head home and what do they see but Donald O'Leary who stuffed his tiny field with cattle and um, Donald O'Leary goes, guys, Hudden, Dudden, you'll never guess what happened. After you threw me in the lake in the bag, uh, I was able to swim down to the bottom of it, and I found this, 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 this and I found the the bottom of the lake was filled with gold and riches and jewelry and jewels, all shipwrecked. It's not shipwrecked; it's a lake. Anyway. So I got loads of the gold and the wealth and there was also this pile of cattle under it that I was able to take off as well. And now I'm rich and I'll show you where to find this stuff and the three of us can be rich. And Hudden and Judden, they're like, okay then, so walk us back to the lake. So Donal O'Leary skips down the lane with with, uh, Hudden and Judden back to the lake. And uh, so the three of them get there and Donald O'Leary is like, OK, Hudden, you first just jump into the lake and dive down as far as you can. You can't swim. That doesn't matter. The, the magic of the lake will take you there. So Hudden just jumps in. The magic of the lake 
Well, it, it does take him down to the bottom and then up again and he's he can't swim and he's he's bobbing and he's throwing his arms in the air and he's screaming and Donald turns to Dudden and he's like, Dudden, Dudden, he's, Hudden is there screaming for your help because there's so much gold he can't carry it all. Go in and help him. And Dudden takes a running jump into the lake and they both sink to the bottom and drown. And Donald O'Leary, you know, starts whistling as he's walking home with a smile on his face, you know, because Hudden and Dudden aren't going to be coming for him anymore. And he takes up the fences around Hudden's land and around Dudden's land and around his own land. And until he is control of both their farms and he spreads out all his cattle and has a very happy life. <laughs> I've never told well, I've never told any part of that story before or the whole story. Oh my god, I'm so happy you did. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so much fun. To oh, tell. it's a tremendous story. Like I remember the the night we got to hear Mark say it for the first time. Yeah. The next day, like the next morning, one of the storytellers decided he was going to tell that story on a tour. Of course. But he forgot that the story takes about 25 minutes to oh, tell. And a story, a new story always takes longer as oh, well as you're trying to learn how to how, learn how to tell it. And the storyteller, <laughs> uh, it, the tours are usually meant to take about 45 minutes, 50 minutes if you're, if you're telling a good story. <laughs> and what, what happened was he came out at nearly an hour oh. <laughs> because he forgot how long the story was. So getting to hear it by Eleanor makes me so happy to know <laughs> that she can tell it now. Yeah. Um, and of course, yeah. you know, I mean, it's it's nice for the visitor to get an hour long tour if it's a good one. Oh. Uh, but it, sometimes uh, a story, you know, if you're a storyteller doing the hour long tour, you can get in trouble because there's another tour coming up behind you. I wouldn't know anything about that, Eleanor. <laughs> anything at all. <laughs> no, but it is... I, f- I find that when you tell the story of Hudden and Dudden, it is just a story that you have to make sure that at first the characters come off likeable, but by the end of it, you know that they all have traces of serial killers and yeah. criminals and, if you will, kind of, it's almost like in like one of the Hangover movies, except... <laughs> It's in reverse, you know? Very uh, chaotic neutral, chaotic yes, evil. Yes, chaotic evil. <laughs> that is such a good way to put it. Oh my God. I, oh. I mean, that's, yeah. that's for mana people for you, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you can mm. find this story in a, in a book, in a collection called Irish Fairy Tales by Joseph Jacobs, which I think is a 19th century collection. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Uh, and I... And it might be available, the story itself might just be available online if you want to read it. But I think we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much, Deirdre, for, for joining me for this really enjoyable discussion on Hudden Dudden and Donal O'Leary. Well, thank you so much for letting me listen to you finally tell that story in person <laughs> as well. But it's been an absolute joy. But until then... Um, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please leave a review or share it with your friends or on social media. That's really helpful. Um, we have episodes coming out on the 1st and the 15th of every month. 
We have our talking videos where we do deep dives into different topics from Irish folklore and mythology uh, every two weeks on YouTube and Facebook. We have Facebook live storytelling every Tuesday, Instagram live storytelling every Thursday, and we're on social media. So follow us there. Out oh, and we've got our email newsletter on the last Tuesday of every month as well. Uh, and there's sometimes some exclusive content uh, for our email subscribers there. So sign up for that. Thank you so much again for joining us. And hopefully we'll all be back here again soon for more talking stories. Salon. Salon, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.